Ruben's Fight Pack, issue 26, part, part 4, pages 23 to 28. Page 23. Educating Women, Changing Mindsets by Sarah Morgan. According to UNESCO estimates, globally 132 million girls are out of school, including 34.3 million of primary school age, 30 million of lower secondary school age, and 67.4 million of upper secondary school age. UNICEF reports 15 million of these girls come from East Asia Pacific region. Every fifth girl in the region was unable to read and understand a simple text by age 10, according to 2020 figures. The pandemic has also caused increases in gender-based violence, early marriage and teenage pregnancy. One way of pushing for increased education for girls is through projects such as PAWA, which focuses on empowering teenage girls through education and social projects. They operate a number of projects in India, Nepal, Cambodia, Malaysia and Pakistan. In the last two years, Power has worked with Nepalese underprivileged families in a project where girls are selected for academic and social achievements. Though there are some public schools in Nepal, Power says the standards are very low. For very poor families, there is no alternative to private education. Power helps with fees, but as such they are limited in how many girls they can support. In Nepal, there is a very high rate of girls being sold off for marriage and there is a lot of child trafficking. Sehan from Power says, said, quotes, We are really trying to demonstrate to these families that girls have a value too, and most girls actually contribute back to their families and their communities. Then the families don't see them as something, someone to sell off or to pass on or marry off, end quotes. Pawa is doing similar work in India through Karuna Trust, a Buddhist organization. As in Nepal, changing mindsets is what they have tried to do for the last six years to get families to allow girls to attend school. Early marriage. Early marriage is a big problem in India because girls are often seen as property. Many young girls are raped in rural areas, which is one of the reasons they don't want to send girls to school. In 2018, there were 33,000 reports of rapes, more than 93% of which were committed by someone known to the victim. It's sometimes said to be for the security of the girls to marry them off young before anything happens to them. The BJP government has pledged to crack down on this crime, but it is, unsurprisingly, still on the rise. Power asserts that education is key because educated women are more aware of the dangers and risks involved in being a woman, as well as having a better understanding of birth control options. Quotes, Badani has been with Nishna Nishtha since she was a small girl. She comes from a very poor background and her father, with her father being an agricultural labourer. She studied hard and was supported by Nishtha all through school and beyond. She got a scholarship and has now graduated with a master's in Bengali from the University of Kolkata. This is the first time any girl in the project has re- reached this level of education and everyone is delighted. Banani now wants to study to become a teacher and meanwhile is offering free tuition 
classes to girls in her locality. Paul quote, ends of quotes of that, then another quote. I've got Nishtha besides me since I was a child, and it was Nishtha who presented me the opportunity to be what I am today. We come from a family where thinking about studying or completing it is absolutely a daydream, but it has become true only because of Nishtha. Nishtha has taught us how a girl can change the world through education. If a girl stands on her own feet, she can do any good thing she wants. End quotes. The pandemic has affected all of Power's projects in Asia. Schools have had to close in both Nepal and India. Power have, have been trying to keep girls engaged online, but many families don't have online learning equipment. Power has sent extra COVID aid, including food parcels and hygiene kits. Page 24 and 25. Support Afghan women against the Taliban. Jane Evans. Following the announcement that almost all foreign troops would leave Afghanistan by September, the Taliban has made rapid territorial gains. Within a month, they had taken Kabul and on Saturday, the 11th of September, at the time of writing, had raised their flag over the presidential palace to mark the beginning of the newly formed Islamic Emirates. Tens of thousands of Afghans who fear Taliban reprisals have tried to flee the country and thousands have headed to the airport to get on flights out of the country. However, now the borders are largely closed. Workers' Liberty has never supported the USN's allied military presence in Afghanistan. Unlike many on the left, however, we do not ignore or downplay the threat that the Taliban poses to democracy and workers' rights, and particularly the threat it poses to women. When the Taliban were in power from 1996 to 2001, there were many restrictions, but the treatment of women was particularly brutal, and especially in the cities. Women were forced to wear the burqa when in public. Women were not allowed to work except for some minor exemptions. Girls could not be educated after the age of eight. Women were not allowed to drive. Women couldn't be treated by a male doctor unless accompanied by a male chaperone. The wearing of nail varnish or makeup was prohibited. Forced marriages of underage girls increased. Women were not allowed to appear on TV or radio or at public gatherings of any kind. The punishments received for violations of rules varied in severity. Women had the tips of their fingers cut off for wearing nail varnish. Other mutilations reported included a young woman having a nose and and ears cut off for fleeing a family she was promised to. Public lashings for not wearing the correct dress and public stonings were frequent. There were public executions at the former football stadium in Kabul. As well as official punishments, taxi drivers and shopkeepers were used to apply pressure on families to conform to rules. Husbands and fathers would be punished if women in the household didn't obey rules. In addition to the physical punishments, the forced confinement and fear of attack resulted in increased stress, anxiety and depression. Amnesty reports that since 2001, despite women's rights in Afghanistan still being the sixth worst in the world, there were some improvements. Women's participation in public life increased. Women made up 20% of civil servants. 
3.5 million girls were enrolled in school. Thousands of women were working in education and some women were able to go to university. Two million girls still had no access to education and violence against women was extremely high. However, the Taliban poses a threat even to the limited gains made since 2001. Over the last month, despite initially saying women still have some rights, they began to make it clear that what their rule will mean for women. Women are no longer visible in most areas of public. Most women have been told to stay home for security reasons. Women no longer feel safe to leave their, their home while Taliban soldiers patrol the streets. The Taliban have now announced that traditional Islamic dress and the wearing of the hijab will be compulsory. Boys and girls will not be taught together, and female students will only be taught by women. They have said that they intend for some women to be able to return to work once workplaces can be segregated. But already universities, for example, are saying that it won't be financially possible for them to finance and staff a segregated system. Anti-imperialism. For many years we have argued that the longer the US stayed, the worse would be the prospects for working class and democratic forces when they inevitably withdrew. This seems to be confirmed by the rapidity with which the Taliban were able to take back power. But opposing the US is not enough. This is not a victory for anti-imperialism, as some on the left would have us believe. A left which thinks that we should just oppose the US government and its allies, and not oppose the Taliban too, is of no use to those who are fighting to build a movement that can replace both. We hope that the young population of Afghanistan are able to resist the Taliban in the cities, that the limited improvements in living standards and women's rights have given some room for opposition to build. The big factor that can change the balance of forces could be a working class and democratic upheaval in Pakistan, cutting off the Taliban from its nurturing hinterland. Reactionary forces in the area will also be strengthened, however, Trade revenues and humanitarian aid will also fall, leading to an increase in poverty, which will undoubtedly hit women hardest. Our hope for the future lies not with the ruling class in the US, Britain, China or Russia, but in the international working class. We look for opportunities to organise solidarity with MNE, democratic women's trade union or progressive organisations that are able to organise. Also on page 25, a feminist speaks from inside Kabul, Mariam. Mariam is an activist in the Revolutionary Association of the Women of Afghanistan, RAWA, living in Afghanistan. Women's demonstrations started in the first week of fully Taliban rule, particularly in Herat and Kabul and other cities. In these cities, at least, women previously had some basic rights like having jobs and going to school and university. These were small demonstrations, mostly dozens rather than many hundreds or thousands. But they took place in a lot of places, and that showed the power and strength that women in Afghanistan have. Some were attacked by the Taliban. A lot of those demonstrating were women employees, especially government employees, who are being prevented from going to work. Often these women are the sole breadwinners for their families. There are a large number of widows in Kabul and other areas. Without these jobs, they cannot feed their children. Meanwhile, primary schools are 
being strictly segregated and girls excluded from secondary schools. Of course, before this, women in Afghanistan did not enjoy a lot of rights. It was a very male-dominated society. The Taliban are much, much worse. Largely, you don't even see women on the streets now. If they are out, it is in the burqa. But Afghan women are not the same as 20 years ago. They've learnt a lot. This was not because of the US presence in Afghanistan. It, because, it is because 20 years is a long time, and this generation who have had some basic rights want to try to keep them. The old government was not a democracy. It was a corrupt and rotten regime. But at the same time, many women went to school and work and saw things could be different. They don't want to experience what their mothers experienced under the first period of the Taliban. The Taliban have not become more modern, let alone democratic. It is absolutely in their nature that they are reactionary fundamentalists. It would be foolish to expect any positive changes from them. They say they are not against women's rights, but listen to what they actually say. The women's rights must come under Sharia law. Sharia law is itself incompatible with the rights of women. The very best we could end up with is something like Iran, a deeply misogynistic regime. Very likely it would be much worse. Some of us in Rawa have some experience from the first period of Taliban rule when we documented executions, beatings and the oppression of women. We will do that again. We will continue our fight with patience and determination. It will be more difficult than before and we will not be as strong. We'll have to see what is possible and how we need to adapt. We have always taken a lot of strength from international support, not from governments or mainstream organisations, but from freedom and justice-loving people around the world. Page 26 and 27. Afghan Supports Women Abandoned by Janine Booth. Kelly Lindsay, former head coach of the Afghanistan women's football team and before that US international player, spoke to supporters before Lose FC women's home friendly against West Ham on 22nd of August. She has been working to secure a safe evacuation of footballing women and girls from Afghanistan, along with the director of women's football, a human rights lawyer and FIFBRO, the International Professional Footballers' Federation, a trade union body. <clears throat> Quotes, For seven days straight, we've created a team in the US, a team in Australia, a team in Europe. We have passed the baton all day and all night to try to keep the process going and to keep the pressure on and try to keep pushing the government and try to keep pushing sports organisations, end quotes, door to door. Lindsay spoke about having just heard that some of the girls had been picked up by the Taliban 20 minutes earlier. She explained, explained how they are now operating. Quotes, the Taliban have been in the Afghan government for the last 20 years. They've been running, running ministries. So they have lists of, lists of everyone who's been working in the government. The Taliban are literally going to houses, literally knocking on doors. One of our families, both the parents were executed. The house was burnt down and the girls were, and one younger brother got out. They were a five-hour drive from Kabul and they walked from that city to Kabul to try to get onto our transport because that's the only way to get out. 
It's desperation. They will do anything to escape. But we won't get everyone out. We will have girls in different parts of the country who cannot make it through to Kabul. We will have to leave them behind. It's gut-wrenching for every, everyone. End quotes. Women and girls playing football has been part of the progressive expansion of women's activities and rights in, in Afghanistan following the defeat of the Taliban two decades ago. The return of Taliban rule following the USA and its allies' ending of their failed military occupation threatens to undo that progress. Kelly explains that, quotes, When I first got with the team, I asked them why they wanted to play. What is it going to mean to you? Was it what is your purpose in coming together to form this national team? Their first words were to break the grip of the Taliban, to show women in the country that they could come out of their homes. That was really shocking to me because I didn't really believe that statement about coming out of their homes, but that is truly what the Taliban do. They will lock these women back in their homes. They have already stopped women from working. They've taken education away. They can say that they're going to, to have women's rights within Sharia law. They're going to give women education. But that's not in our sense of giving women rights and giving women education. Everything will be taken from them, everything that they work for. These athletes try to inspire other women to step out of their homes, to go get their education, be the future, create the democracy that they all want, and now they will be the ones who will be persecuted. For the status that these athletes have in the country, they are already being targeted. The Taliban have been in their homes. They've already been moving from house to house, living in the streets. We've been pushing and pushing for sports to create equality and empowerment and raise them up, and we've done an amazing job. We're raising women up in a desperate, unsecure country. So for us, for the Americans, to just pull the rug out and walk away, it's just so. I can't even put it into words. Every government's official we talk to is disgusted by the situation that we've left so many people behind. End quotes. Her frustration with the government in action was clear as Kelly talked about pleading with the governments of the UK, US, Canada, Belgium, Germany and others. Quotes, Everyone says, yeah, yeah, we want to help, but nobody takes action. That's the killer part right now. You don't have a month to get on it. We're in a tight period. End quotes. Sporting bodies. Lindsay is just as frustrated with the sports governing bodies. Quotes, we have these huge global organisations. We've just had a huge Olympics, now the Paralympics. We have two Paralympians in Afghanistan. They have all the money in the world to do this, and yet they are not really doing anything. Why are the world's sports or governing bodies, which have the capacity, the power, the connections to the government of the government, why are they not st stepping up? Why are we using sport for good, but when we really need it, when we say we are a family, when we say we are going to stand together, we don't do anything. Why are the big organisations not coming to the aid of these girls, of these athletes? Even the group that we have working on the evacuation, we are working as pri private individuals. These sports organisations can do more than we can in a quick amount of time. They can make sure that people can leave the country, get them settled. If you're an athlete, there is nothing better than to know 
who have a team and a community around you. They need people around them to help them resettle, to help them have a future and a life. We had a huge sexual abuse case that we had to deal with a few years ago. And once again, it took eight months of us begging and pleading to Pfeiffer and other organizations before it was addressed. They always say, oh, it's just Afghanistan. I can't stand these words. It's not just Afghanistan. These are human beings, human lives, futures. The global community has created the situation for them. End quotes. She explained the urgent action being taken to help female footballers escape. Quotes, the girls who are over 18 have to go alone. For under-18s, we file applications for family members as well. We've had to keep it quite tight, immediate family only, younger siblings, maybe parents, not the extended family. When they get called into the airport, they will have to say goodbye to their families, maybe for the last time. Their families are all with them, hoping that when the gates open and they're allowed in, that maybe they will take someone else, but it's going to be the most heartbreaking moment for these young players, young women, end quotes. The efforts of individuals in the face of government's inaction means that Lindsay rated the chances of getting the, the football visas and getting them out as 50-50. She explained that, quotes, everything is about the documents, and so many women in, Afga- in Afghanistan don't have an ID card, don't have a passport, don't have the documentation. Elite athletes have documentation because they travel, but they don't have it in their hands because the federations hold on to it. They have an application which means they can get it in the airport that's helping them get on a flight. That doesn't mean they will get a visa. We might have to start pushing that some come to the UK, some go to Canada, some go to Germany and start splitting and breaking them up. But the key is evacuation. And that was the first key of the strategy, to try to get them into the airport, end quotes. Run, a verse by Janine Booth. The cover drive and how she ran are now haram under the rule of the Taliban. Can she stay in? For sure she can. She can't be out without a man in ancient new Afghanistan. She tackled assumptions and she had score, but won't be playing anymore. She's fallen foul of the holy law. Her parents murdered, house burnt down. She grabbed her sisters, fled the town, and walked 200 miles of ground. To reach a place they might take flight, to wait at the gate and hope despite the odds that there's an end in sight. While those who gave the battle orders to storm across a nation's borders turn their back on sporting daughters, instead fall in behind the man who wrestles behind Afghanistan for the Taliban. Page 28. Texas and the Fragility of Reproductive Rights in the USA by Katie Dollar. After attempts to block it in the Supreme Court fails, the strictest anti-abortion law in the US went into effect on 1st of September 2021. The Texas law, which bans all abortions after around six weeks, relies on intimidation to ensure it is implemented. It allows any private citizen to sue anyone deemed to have helped a woman get an abortion. Campaigners rightly fear this will empower anti-choice reactionaries to bring harassing lawsuits, lawsuits paralyzing the few abortion clinics still open in the state. The law is likely to embolden 
anti-choice moves in other US states. Other states have passed similar laws, but those measures face legal challenges. The Texas law is the first to be implemented. For example, Mississippi state officials have asked the conservative majority Supreme Court to overrule Roe v. Wade, the 1973 decision that established a constitutional right to abortion and thus enable the state to implement a ban on abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. If Roe v. Wade is overturned or weakens abortion rights in the US will only be protected, enshrined in state law, in 14 out of the 50 states. Indeed, in 22 states' laws, restriction restricting abortion have already been passed and could be fully implemented. In those states, it is already very difficult to obtain an abortion. Those 22 states represent a huge proportion of the landmass of the USA. The US Justice Department said that it will not tolerate violence against anyone seeking abortion services in Texas, and that federal officials are exploring all options to challenge this effective ban on almost all terminations. Given the situation in the US and the much wider terrifying problem of global attacks on reproductive rights, we cannot rely on legal challenges in the US State Department. We need to build a militant, pro-choice movement worldwide. To encourage reporting under the new law, Texas Right to Life has established a digital tip line. Quotes, any Texan can bring a lawsuit against an abortionist or someone aiding and abetting an abortion after six weeks, end quotes, the website reads, and those proved to be violating the law can be fined a minimum of $10,000. An online form allows anyone to submit an anonymous report of someone illegally aiding an abortion, including a section where images can be uploaded for proof. Pro-choice users on TikTok and Reddit launched an online effort to thwart the law, flooding this tip website with false reports, Shrek memes and porn. The site launched a month ago has crashed, crashed several times as a result. One TikTok user said they had submitted 742 fake reports of the governor, Gregor Abbott, getting illegal abortions. Others have written programs to allow users to mass-upload reports. Our international campaign must take to the streets and extend the immediate battle in the US to many other threats to reproductive rights around the world.